0: I think all of you grabbed the sheets when you came in. Uh, Somebody had requested that we print off um, the verses. So the only um, minor error is that I put um, Night Four on the question, Trinity Four on the questions at the bottom of the second page. Not the back of the first page, but the bottom of the second page. That should be Trinity Night Five. I didn't put those are tonight's questions, um, and then this biblical doctrines or biblical foundations for Trinitarian doctrine. This is something that Derek put together um, for the uh, the pilot class that we did on Wednesday night. So if you have this, you already have that. So, all right. Let's uh, open with a word of prayer, and then we will. Uh, jump into tonight, I just have to keep my sheets here in order, Um, we're going to look at Jesus and the Spirit, um, since that was kind of where Derek left off, then we're going to talk Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, uh, talk a little bit about the work of the Holy Spirit, um, and then we'll see if I'm guessing there's going to be no time after that. Dave, ask and you shall receive your verses you in somewhat of a compact fashion. So, All right, let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight and we thank you for the time that we have already experienced together and for uh, not just the time that we have experienced together during this uh, slot of our week, but also the time that you have continued to linger in our thoughts and minds and have continued to work as we ruminate on the things that we have been exploring in your word and with each other. And we just continue to pray that you would reveal yourself to us through your spirit through this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, let's look at... A little bit of Jesus and the Spirit. I know last week uh, you guys were talking about a whole bunch of different things. Um, Some things were a little bit more, shall I say, palatable than other things. Uh, Derek said, I asked how it went, and he said it was going great until it wasn't, Uh, meaning the last 15 minutes. Maybe that's why we're seeing the numbers of folks that we're seeing tonight. I blame Derek. Because he's not here. So, first of all, when we look at uh, the relationship of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we have to look at um, his birth narrative. And to that, we go to Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 35. Well, we can start in verse 34. Mary is having this conversation with the angel. And she says to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called, this, called Holy, the Son of God. So right away we see this uh, in the life of Jesus. His birth is a Trinitarian act. And so we see this union between uh, the Trinity and... In the incarnation of Jesus, if we continue on uh, in the same verse or the same chapter of Luke, um, verses forty-one and forty-two, and then Elizabeth heard her greeting of Mary. The baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth with Elizabeth, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, "Blessed are you among women." And blessed is the fruit of your womb. So this is very interesting, right? Because it says she was then filled with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it implies that she wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit prior to that moment. And so that helps us get this understanding of what is taking place in the birth narrative of Jesus. Uh, from not only uh, a Trinitarian perspective, but more specifically, from a Holy Spirit uh, perspective. What is the Holy Spirit doing during this time? And if we remember back to the first night, we talked about um, Karl Barth's whole uh, genius saying about God reveals himself through himself. We see the work of the Holy Spirit as God revealing himself to us. So in essence, we can't know God without the work of the Spirit. And we see this here in the life of Elizabeth. She is able to understand and fully see who Jesus is in his in utero status. I know she's not literally seeing uh, him in Mary, but I mean, in essence, she is. But it if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, she would not have that information. And so that kind of tips our hand a little bit to how we understand the work of the Holy Spirit, not only in the Old Testament, but outside um, of those who are believers. Then we continue in the same uh, Lucan narrative. Verse 67, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying blessed be the lord god of israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant david as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old and so we see this you know when we ask what is the holy spirit's main function in the old testament we get a a, a glimpse of it here it's the the work of the prophetic utterance and so Luke is describing what has happened. Again, Zechariah is not filled with the Spirit in advance of this moment. It's it's the old adage, uh, was David a Christian? And the answer is no, he wasn't. He was a Jew. So, was was Zechariah... Filled with the Holy Spirit, yes, at this moment, but it also implies that after this, the Holy Spirit would have no longer uh, been filling him completely. Paul's look at this, if we look at Romans, uh, Romans chapter 1, it's interesting because as we, um, and I know I said last time I'm not going to skip around, uh, I'm going to go chronologic or whatever in order in the Bible, I take that back. Going to change it all up tonight. Um, Let's start in verse 1 of chapter 1 of Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. So here we see this Trinitarian work and Paul revealing his Trinitarian view of its, how is this taking place? Well, it's taking place by the Spirit of Holiness, of Holiness, so it's the Spirit who's doing this work in the life of Christ and in the resurrection of Christ, that that we see the tandem exercise of God's work here on earth through Jesus and through the Spirit. One of the things that I love uh, about the opportunities that we afford. The distinct voices or differing voices. Derek said some things last week and I was like interesting. <laughs> I would not have said that in that way. I would have probably said it uh, completely differently and I know now you're all like oh what did he, what, what? it doesn't matter. What, what matters is we don't all have to agree on parsing some of these things out and that's kind of what makes it cool. So Paul here is letting us understand how the Spirit is working in conjunction with uh, Jesus, not only through his uh, life, his being-bornness, but also through his death and resurrection. If we flip back to John, the Gospel of John, hopefully all these um, John references has continued to inspire you to dig more into the fascinating Gospel of John. Uh, verse, well, let's look at um, verse 37 of chapter 7. Uh, uh, John says this, "...on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow of li- rivers of living water." Now this he said about the Spirit whom those he believed in, who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So we see Jesus declaring his view of the Spirit and what the function of the Spirit will be And we see the relationship between the Spirit's uh, non-abiding in human beings uh, in advance of Jesus' resurrection. So we see that Jesus is declaring that it is by the Spirit that we will have living water flow from us. So again seeing how, how they relate to one another and how they also relate to us and to our life in God. So far, so good? Okay. Um, then, of course, we should um, look at Acts chapter 2 because that is... Um, very important book or uh, section as we look at the Spirit uh, and the pouring out of the Spirit. But we're going to look in advance um, of what we usually look at in, um, when we look at this passage. So let's start in verse 29 of chapter 2. Brothers and sisters, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, from the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So, the, we see that how this is all functioning together in the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and this, this pouring out language, as uh, Derek was talking about last week, as Paul relates it to Philippians, and Jesus pouring himself out. We see this vessel, this imagery of the Holy Spirit being poured out um, on these people. The thing that we, we don't want to fall into is, it's not, um, again, it's not that the Spirit is subservient to Christ because Christ, Jesus, sends the Spirit after he leaves. It's not uh, in that at all. It's the functionality um, and how the Spirit works uh, within us post the resurrection. We get another great uh, look in Paul, uh, his letter to the Ephesians. In you know, he's looking backwards and and talking and expo- exploring, expressing um, some key passages that they would have understood. Syria what I found. Siri, uh, was deciding that we were, we were talking to her. We're not talking to her. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who was over all and through all and in all, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measures of Christ's gift. What is the measure of Christ's gift? Paul is implying and saying that it is the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men and women. So we see this. This is Paul setting up when he's going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. We see that that the Holy Spirit and his relationship to Jesus is in this gifting uh, fashion. One last set of verses and Hebrews, uh, about the relationship of Jesus and the Spirit is in chapter nine of verse chapter nine of Hebrews, starting in verse uh, fourteen of chapter nine. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our own conscience consciousness conscience from dead works to serve the living? God, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So we see, again, it is through the Holy Spirit that Jesus is able to do what Jesus does in the atoning work of his death and resurrection. So we have to see the, the interconnectedness of the Trinitarian relationship. So Jesus doesn't do this on his own, it is a, uh, it is a, a work of all three of them functioning together. I'm uh, just about done with Richard Rohr's book called The Divine Dance. And Lee and I were talking about this earlier. Certainly I do not agree with Richard Rohr in all capacities. He at times is out there. Um, But his view of the divine dance is so helpful. And actually my uh, advisor in college whose name was Richard, it was not Richard Rohr, that was his preferred view, and, and Rohr wants to think of the Trinity more in a circular fashion because of the interplay of it um, versus a triangular fashion. But we see, we see the importance of the relationship between Jesus and the Spirit as uh, we look at his life more in depth, not only his life, but his death and his resurrection. Any questions on, on that? Yes. Mm. At conception, did Jesus have the powers of God? Um, I would say no. Right, because the Holy Spirit revealed that to her. Well, if He were to pour out Himself, in essence, to relinquish this... That's where we get into some really interesting conversation around grasping, attaining. What is Paul telling us that, that Jesus is doing when He incarnates His physical body? Because... We, we get so little of Jesus' life between, really between birth and his baptism. What we do get is what? And, and, right? He's 12. And it says... Yeah, and then after that, it says Jesus... And he grew in knowledge and wisdom. So that is a direct implication that that his knowledge was not omniscient at that point. Because if it was omniscient, then what is the Bible saying that he's growing in knowledge and wisdom? If you're all-knowing, that means you can't grow in knowledge or wisdom. Well, I would surmise that if I were to uh, be a female, which I'm not, become pregnant without having sexual intercourse, which again, I'm not a female, so I couldn't experience that, and then experience these other things, at some point I would say, maybe this God thing is is right, and let's just go with it. And so she's moving in this, I mean when we look at her, the Magnificat, she clearly has had an encounter with God that is moving her in a trajectory where she sees who her child is very early on. And that, she doesn't do it on her own, she does it through the Holy Spirit. Yes. So the question becomes, the pregnancy, the immaculate conception, where is this, what is the Spirit doing in the immaculate conception? And, and certainly, if Jesus, again, has the Holy Spirit indwelling in Him, in His humanity, pre-baptism, why does the dove descend on him at baptism as a clear sign of the Spirit? But we see the Spirit clearly can descend on someone and embody or be in somebody for a period of time and then leave. Which I think is clearly, Mary is a great example of what is happening in that. So... Um other questions? Yes. How do you see the ascension as relating to the giving of the spirit? The ascension as relating to the giving of the spirit. Uh, honestly I've never really thought about it. <laughs> you want to say more and maybe It. So yeah, I mean, clearly Jesus is saying I must leave in order for the Spirit to come. So the ascension becomes an essential component of his life. Yeah, it's very fascinating. You know, wh- how, is that even, how does that even work? And, you know, to further that, if the ascension is such a huge deal, which clearly in our tradition we, have, we don't make it a big deal, why don't we make it a big deal? I mean, we could have a whole other weekend celebrating... And spending money on flowers, and maybe we could all buy balloons, and we could like go outside and release them. They'd be biodegradable, with biodegradable string. <laughs> we could start. <laughs> we just make up. But the the problem with that is there is a church calendar that tells us when we would celebrate that. We just reject it completely. <laughs> So, yeah, Gunnar, I've never thought of it, but that's an interesting, uh, interesting thing. Um, all right, so what I want to start with in our conversation tonight, um, in our little discussion, mini discussion groups, is this more general question of, what has been your experience with the Holy Spirit inside and outside the church? Okay, I want to include both of those things. And then why do you think the Holy Spirit has been downplayed in certain traditions? I'm not assuming that it's been downplayed in whatever tradition you find yourself uh, either growing up in or currently residing in, uh, but certainly it has been downplayed in certain traditions. So, take some time. I will tell you tonight, I'm setting a timer, and once the timer goes off, there is no more time. You get no more time. So, use your time wisely in your discussion groups. Uh, questions on the screen. Okay, that's 10 minutes. Too bad. Too bad. Nope, no more minutes. No more minutes. Um, You can certainly continue this conversation as long as you want at 8 (laughs) o'clock. I would even let you stay in the building. Just text me when you're out, and I'll lock it up. Um, Thoughts or comments about that discussion? Yes. 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 Is that what? Is it possible for the Holy Spirit to work outside the church? Great question. God, that is a great question. Were you here on Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> What did some other groups say? When he's convicting people, it's somebody outside the church. Mm-hmm. Con yeah. Conviction. Perhaps the dreams that puzzle seem to be having around the world that show Jesus Yeah, sure. Supernatural dreams that are bringing people to faith. Sure. I mean, in some ways, it's, you could say it's a null question, except the Holy Spirit worked on all of us before we came to faith. And so it was more of a thinking back on our own lives. When were there times when the Holy Spirit was working on us and we were either ignoring or uh, just outright rejecting? So... Yes. We uh we talked about the spirit's involvement in the bird, uh being anointed, his ministry and his Yeah. So where do you go with first Peter three eighteen? Share with a bit where you think that is. Is that the Holy Spirit or is that When it talks about Christ's spirit? Yeah, so uh, working with, going back to discussing the Spirit's role within the life of Christ. Yeah, so like, let's look at First Peter. Um, oh, this looks very familiar. For Christ also uh, suffered... uh, how do we understand spirit in us and uh, you know, in the spiritual sense of spirit be- meaning small s versus big s when we talk small g god versus big g god um, being made alive in a supernatural way to go and preach to the spirits in prison is more than likely the interpretation of that passage. And we could rewind the tape on what I said back it, when we went through this passage this, uh, this last year because some, somebody from over here asked a similar question. I think it might have even been Carol. What do we do with Jesus' spirit? Because if he's, we all have a spirit. I mean, that's, that's the idea in the Trinitarian concept of being made in the image of God. Um, and so, is Peter referencing the spirit, the human spirit of Jesus? More than likely would be the implication because he's using a small s versus the Holy Spirit So being made alive in the spirit, small s spirit, to uh, engage with the other uh, spirits who are in prison. And again, there's like, all the commentators are like, we have no idea what this means, and we'll spend 40 pages telling you what what we think it means, even though we just said, we have no idea what this means. So again, it's one of those, when there's less clarity... (laughs) There's more paperwork to do, <laughs> so um, so yeah, getting back to that idea of how does the Holy Spirit work outside the church, um, I think is an interesting thing for us to ask, and it gets into you know what is the Holy Spirit doing um, I thought that was Jiminy cricket. Yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah I mean that becomes a great, a whole great discussion, you know, around natural law. Um, you know, when we look at, at uh, when we look at the beginning of Romans uh, chapter one verse twenty, when Paul talks about, you know, we are without excuse. Is he implying that the work of the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to lead one to faith? That's making us without excuse? Is it this idea of natural revelation, which some people really cringe at? Um, I certainly don't have, as, I don't have a problem with uh, as much. Um, so... I don't think we. I think we could look from our perspective and say, the the overall conscience of natural law would be a work of the spirit. You know, when we talk about general revelation versus special revelation, general revelation being all of the knowledge that you can glean outside of Jesus Christ, um, outside of the work of the, the spirit um i think it gets into that but where is the source of that coming from well we would say the source of all things is god and how is god functioning or how is god acting Well, he's acting through the spirit as the spirit in the spirit so does that answer your question or or you're just musing out loud? You're just digressing for us all. the image of God that's resides in us that's been tainted but is still there, yeah. To further the metaphor, every every bent board is straight at some centimeter. <laughs> All right, let's look at the Old Testament a little bit. Because, um, you know, it's always this great question around how do we view the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And it certainly is there. Um, we see right away in Judges chapter 3. One of the, the big works of the Holy Spirit is... Um, is in this idea of discernment. Let's start in verse 8. Uh, but when the people of Israel... or I'm sorry, uh, verse 9. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them. Othniel, the son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother. The spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave... Um, that place, uh, that person, the king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed over uh, Kushan Rishatham. So the land had rest 40 years. So this idea of God's discernment upon an individual, God residing on a particular individual um, for his discernment. Likewise, Uh, When we flip to 1 Samuel chapter 10, obviously the anointing is a key component of the Old Testament. Um, So if we look at 10.6, then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man, which is a whole other conversation. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Uh, Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. And then in verse 10, When they came to Gibeah, behold, a, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, And he prophesied among them. You know, when we look at the concept of prophecy in the Old Testament, it's literally being a mouthpiece of God. You know, throughout the prophetic utterances, there is, Thus says the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit working in and through the prophets to speak what God would have them to speak. Speaking of prophets, if we go to Isaiah chapter 40. Verse 12, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales, and scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? And then again in Isaiah chapter 63, then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name who led them through the depths so even notice here I understand this is Hebrew poetry but that the writer Isaiah is saying he's not saying that he put the Holy Spirit in them he's saying he put it in the midst of them and so we get this clear distinction between at what point the Holy Spirit is indwelling people individuals and at what point the Holy Spirit is in their uh, physical midst Uh, if we look at Haggai or the often unpronounced Haggai, there's Haggai, which may be in the running for our uh, class for this next year potentially. It's not been excluded. Haggai two five, uh, starting verse four. Yet yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, shun uh, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant I made with you. When you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. So again, they there's certainly the old, the folks, the Israel in the Old Testament would have had a clear concept of the Holy Spirit and of the work of the Holy Spirit, not only in their midst, but in their lives through the prophets and also through there's uh, various references, as you can see on your paper, uh, to the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of the Lord throughout the book of Psalms, which we will not get into. Questions on that? The Holy Spirit's role in the Old Testament. Yes. So when he shows up to uh, Abraham, he says, I'm going to take out the town. Is that God's kind of glory, or is that God in indwelled spirit, or is that the Holy spirit? That becomes a very fat. The question is, you know when we talk about God's Shekinah glory, are we talking about the Spirit? And that becomes a very interesting and fascinating conversation. You know, was God, was the Spirit what was guiding them by fire and by you know, the cloud? That's a great question that we can't, I mean, we can't really differentiate. Um, we don't know <laughs> because what i would say is god's glory is not the holy spirit because that would reduce the holy spirit to to this th- tangible thing and that that would be a mistake These are just clear in instances that I wanted to lay out to say and Swain does it lays out this the holy Te- the holy spirit is not a new testament concept it's not like the holy spirit all of a sudden shows up acts chapter 2 and now the holy spirit's on the scene and God and Jesus are taking a break So, clearly we see the activity of the Holy Spirit not only in the Old Testament, but also in the life of of Jesus. So, this next question I want us to discuss, or if you want to go back and uh, re-discuss or continue your discussion on the first two questions, I will never know. But the Spirit will. What does the role of the Spirit in the Old Testament and its relationship to Jesus teach us Teach you about the role of the Spirit in your life. So, the role of the Spirit in the Old Testament and the role of the Spirit in the life of Jesus teach us about the role of the Spirit in our lives today. Okay? 10 minutes exactly for you online. You can fast forward exactly 10 minutes. All right, 10 minutes. Thoughts or questions? Okay. Well, I think it's just and I love that we are once again looking at Old Testament, New Testament, how it all goes together. Yeah. Blending it all together. Yes. She said uh, this is probably the best class she's ever taken. <laughs> the teaching has been outstanding. <laughs> she said how to be able to look at both Old and New Testament and blend them together and, and see them as a, a collective whole is very uh, informative and helpful. So. Um, So Francis Chan wrote this book, The Forgotten God. If you're looking for a great book on the Holy Spirit, this is um, right at the top of my list. It's very approachable. He says this, which I think is uh, is really great. Uh, He says, When people give their lives to God in exchange for a ticket out of hell, there is often no turning or change of direction, which is the definition of repentance. If all you want is a little Jesus to spiritualize your life, a little extra God to keep you out of hell, you're missing out on the fullness of life you were created for. Not only this, you don't need the Holy Spirit. You don't need the Holy Spirit if you are merely seeking to live a semi-moral life and attend church regularly. You can find people of all sorts in many religions doing that quite nicely without him. You only need the Holy Spirit's guidance and help if you truly want to follow the way of Jesus Christ. Okay, on that note, uh, let's look a little bit at at what do we see the New Testament writers telling us about the role of the Holy Spirit. So let's start first in John chapter 3 with what Jesus is telling us about the, the Holy Spirit. This is the famous Nicodemus passage um, where he is talking to Nicodemus about his life and the being born again business. Jesus answered him, Truly I say to you, verse 3, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, "Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit." Which is interesting here, you know, getting back to the conversation about 1st Peter, you see the the distinction of spirit, capital S, and spirit Uh, lowercase s. Spirit, the word for spirit in the Greek is uh, pneuma, which is also, can be translated uh, sound, noise, or voice. Um, That's why I don't translate the Bible. If we look at Acts, again, this is the words of Jesus right before his ascension, Acts chapter 1. Yes? Yes? what verse are you specifically uh okay verse 8 um uh... Yeah, certainly we can't predict the the work of the spirit, no. I guess I'm I'm having a hard time understanding the difference. Okay. Does the spirit decide who repents? Well, let's uh, let's look at what Jesus says later before He ascends in Acts chapter one about the timing of the Spirit. In verse seven of chapter one, He says to them, "It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority." Which is, we could talk about that different time all night. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So, clearly, the Holy Spirit descends upon you Okay, at your conversion. That, that is the being born again process. And Jesus is, he's alluding to Nicodemus. You know, he wants, Nicodemus takes such a concrete thing. You're telling me I have to physically be born again? And he takes it and he just says, well, let's take your little brain and just blow it out to here because you can't be born again physically. It's a spiritual thing. And just like with the wind, you can't see the Spirit's actual movement, but you can feel its movement. Does that get at what, you're, what you were asking? Okay. So here, Jesus clearly is saying, in, before he ascends... With the reception of the Spirit comes a significant amount of power. And also it comes with this movement towards being the witnesses into the ends of the earth. So it's this propulsion forward. Again, we were looking at Acts 2 a little bit earlier. In verse 38, Peter says to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of the sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we see this very clear line of delineation. Repent. Be baptized. Now, this is where we get into muddy water, right? What is he saying when you receive the Spirit? after you're baptized? So you don't receive the Spirit until you're baptized? You don't it until your sins are well, right. Your sins are forgiven when you repent. We can easily take this verse and parse it out in a way that says you don't receive the Spirit until you're baptized, which I think is uh, doing this, the Peter's instruction a uh, grand disservice he is implying you will repent and then be baptized immediately. Like, the, you know, the Ethiopian eunuch is on the road, and Philip, and he says, I am coming to faith. Why would I wait to be baptized? Let's just do it right now. So let's not uh, miss out on exactly what's going on in that text. The Holy Spirit is received post-repentance. If we look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you know, Paul talks a lot about the gifts of the Spirit in his letters to the Corinthians. We see what exactly is the Spirit doing in the life of the believer? In verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So the Spirit is working through this process of sanctification and justification uh, in tandem with Jesus. So it is not. It's not... Our justification isn't a Jesus-only moment. It is a Trinitarian work of God in our lives. When he, watch, he, mean um, he certainly could mean baptized. Um, I don't know if that's an immediate... Application in this instance, and I'm not just going to throw out a guess. If we flip to Paul's letter to the Galatian church, chapter 4, somebody had asked first night about how do we understand the Holy Spirit and prayer. This gets at that. Verse 6. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer slave, but a son or daughter, and if a son or daughter, then an heir through God. So, Paul is implying that it is through the power of the Spirit that we are able to go to God And pray. We know that Jesus prays these words on the cross. And so Paul is saying, it is by the power of the Spirit that we are able to go to God and and offer up our prayers. So somebody was asking that right out of the gate. Likewise, in Ephesians chapter 1, yes. the Spirit of his Son, I think that what he's trying to do is is make a clear Trinitarian explanation of this isn't, you know, before we just get the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord, and so he wants to make clear that it's not just God's Spirit, it's coming from both God and the Son, There certainly has been a, some speculation around: Is it another spirit? You know, is does Jesus have his own spirit? That goes down a rabbit hole of just just a dead end. Yeah. So, you know, and that's where we get the uh, the whole east west controversy around the spirit. And where is the Spirit coming from, both the Father and the Son? Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory, so we see the Holy Spirit's functionality in uh, Ephesians being declared as a seal of our salvation. You know the assurance of our salvation is clear um, in this this particular passage. If we look at Titus chapter three. This is, this is one of my favorite Trinitarian passages. Verse 3, 3. He said, Paul is uh, writing, to, and he says this. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior, okay, we're seeing this Trinitarian distinction, God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. I mean, that is that is all of it, all together wrapped into one nice, neat little bow. Like Swain says on page ninety-two, um, in or ninety-four, sorry. He says the distinctive office of the Holy Spirit in God's unfolding kingdom is to glorify Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son. God the Spirit crowns God the Son by causing the glory of His his eternal, incarnate, crucified, and exalted person to be proclaimed, received, and celebrated to the glory of God the Father. So we see the extreme importance of how the Holy Spirit functions and is working not only throughout uh, Scripture but in its Very Trinitarian um, essence. I thought there was one other Holy Spirit question that I was supposed to answer. That person's probably not here, so it doesn't matter. Any uh, questions? This has been an extremely um, general survey. Some of you would highly disagree. I mean, there's the depths that we could dive into each one of these topics would take up weeks. Um, And so the, the idea behind this class was to kind of Get us interested in maybe some other things, engaging with some words, some concepts, maybe some verses that that we had read, but hadn't seen in the way that uh, now we see them, hopefully through uh, the work of the spirit and really illuminating what what the writer is trying to communicate. And as I said at at the very beginning, the whole point of this is is to draw us closer and deeper. Into who God is, into this mystery of who God is, and also into um, more and more worship. You know, we could. We actually we spent a whole five weeks on the Holy Spirit. (laughs) So we spent part of a night. (laughs) Um, So if you are interested, I would highly recommend this book. um, Diving more into the Holy Spirit question yes yes yeah so when what what's happening in prayer I mean as essence was that kind of your question yeah, so who do we, who or how or through whom are we praying? Um, and Rohr talks about prayer at length in his book on the Trinity, the Divine Dance. And you know, he he brings up this great point. If we think that that prayer is a transactional event, then then we're getting it all wrong. he He says, Uh, imagine this cosmic tallying in the heavens around Super Bowl Sunday, and the angels are gathering the prayers for this team over here and the prayers for this team over here, and whoever has the most prayers, then God has that team win. Like, if that is our conception of prayer, we've got it completely wrong. Um, And so his, his idea is, if we see it as... If we see engagement with God through prayer, we see it as a dance. That we are invited into a dance with the Trinity. And it's not that... There's no f- secret formula. I mean, When we look at who Jesus is, who God is through Christ, God is a God that desires to, to be with us. I mean, that's the concept of the incarnation. And so, when we go to Him, we go to Him in a mysterious way, and it's not so much about the form as it is about the posture. Yes. So, the Spirit functions as a way of guiding and discerning in our own hearts, if we prayed what we wanted to pray, it would be ridiculous. I mean, like the Bruce Almighty thing is so true. <laughs> and, and so, how, how do we... And I, I understand that I've taken your question and I've thrown it out the window. (laughs) Um, So we pray to God, and how is it that we can pray to God? This is really more your question. The reason why we have access to God is through the revelation of the Holy Spirit of who Jesus Christ is and what He did on our behalf to create access to God and so we can pray through the Spirit, by the Spirit, acknowledging that it is through the blood of Jesus Christ that we are granted this access. But there's not a, there's not a formula that in somehow unlocks the code. You know, like back in the day, you know, probably wrong crowd, some of you will get this, when you played Nintendo, there were cheat codes, and one particular cheat code was up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A-B-A, select start, it was for Contra, and you would get unlimited lives, I mean, Jeff, are you with me? Yeah, okay, at least one person got it, and then maybe there's one person at home, yeah, Totally. (laughs) and you would get unlimited lives and you could run around and play the game forever and conquer it cuz you'd never die prayer is not that <laughs> so uh, when we think about when i the more i've been thinking about prayer in, in this concept of communing and communicating with god the more i want to dig into understanding each of these uh, persons and communing and communicating with them individually acknowledging that I'm praying to the one God does that help it, it's clear that we are to pray in Jesus name and that's another correction that I got early on John was like, oh, I used to always pray. uh, How would I even pray? (laughs) Oftentimes I'd pray in the Son's name, amen. And John was like, we pray in Jesus' name. I was like, okay. Um, So that's clearly a biblical instruction. How it's happening is somewhat mysterious and yet somewhat clear. You know, when Jesus dies on the cross, and the, the, the curtain is torn, we're clearly visual access to, to the throne. Likewise, when we get these allusions to Jesus being our high priest, as we uh, are starting to get into in Hebrews, that is clearly Jesus providing us with access um, to God the Father. A- and acknowledging who we are, and the transformation of the Spirit, we're praying we should ask the Spirit, in essence, to guide our prayer. To, to show us how to pray. Other questions? Is that a no? We're, no, we're done. We're we'll Just cut it off. All right, cool. Well, um, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you for digging in for as long as you have. Uh, If you have additional questions, the last question for tonight was, what is something that lingers in your heart and or mind about the Trinity? Uh, Feel free to email me about that and we can uh, chat uh, more thoroughly about that. Let's uh, close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we uh, again we just thank you for this <clears throat> for this opportunity for this opportunity to come together uh, as people seeking after you as a portion of your body that desires to grow in our understanding of you and to acknowledge the immense love that we have for you and the magnitude uh, of. misunderstanding that we often have of you and so we do ask holy spirit that you would guide our path that you would illuminate our path that you would help give us wisdom and discernment and as we come to you to pray and to pray with you and to commune with you we just ask for your guidance and your direction most importantly we ask for your presence to be near us and to be close to us as we seek to draw close to you in jesus name Amen. All right, thanks for coming.